passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Church, we are studying our way through the Gospel of Mark. And last week, we were studying the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. It was a really fascinating situation. It talks about Peter's mother-in-law having a fever. And we just think somebody had the flu. But we actually, as you look at Luke, we learned it was a mega fever. It was a high fever that her body was raging with infection. And Jesus came into her room and Jesus stood over her and he took her by the hand. And as he lifted her up, he lifted the fever and infection right out. Her healing was different than any kind of healing that we would have today from fever and infection because we gradually get better. She instantly was better, completely and fully restored to health. Now, uh, last Sunday, if you were with us, you know there were some extra verses at the end of our outline that I didn't get a chance to get to, some bridging verses between the miracle we studied last week and the miracle we're going to study this week, and I just couldn't cover them in the interest of time. So my goal this morning (coughs) is to cover those bridging verses and to cover Jesus' next miracle, which is a tall order on a communion Sunday. But it's some really, really engaging, amazing stuff that we're about to study today. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your um, Bible to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. And I'd like to ask you to stand out of reverence for the Word of God and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read these 10 verses. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went out, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. That ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated. Well, as you can see, our text this morning breaks clearly into two different pieces. The first piece is sort of Jesus getting up early in the morning for his quiet time. And the second piece is the healing of the leper. So let's go ahead and start with the first piece. 
And the point we see here is just like Jesus, we need to carve out time with God to avoid drifting off mission and into sin. The key verse for that is verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. That doesn't sound too impressive until you look at these verses in juxtaposition to the verses that we have just studied for the last two weeks. Remember, what we studied for the last two weeks is actually just one day in the life of Jesus. It was the Sabbath day, and Jesus went to the synagogue, and he taught the synagogue lesson, which, by the way, let me tell you, personally speaking, preaching gets very tiring. I like a nap on Sunday afternoon because it takes a lot out of you. This is Jesus. But Jesus has a really engaging sermon because he doesn't just preach. He casts a demon out of a guy in the synagogue. Now, I guarantee you a lot of people wanted to talk to him after that sermon. I mean, we're talking major social energy had to do after that sermon. When we learned last week, he came home from the synagogue, he went to Peter's house, and the cook couldn't cook. His mother-in-law was sick, so Jesus then heals his mother-in-law. And of course, she makes the lunch. It's going to be a late lunch at that point. But not only does she make the lunch, but could you see the amount of talking and interaction that would take place after Jesus heals his mother-in-law? And then after that, we learned that the text said last week that when the sun went down, many people, all kinds of people, constantly brought their sick. As soon as the sun went down to the house of Peter and Jesus healed them all, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight, Jesus is still healing. Is that a full day? That's like a mega full day. Now, I don't know about you. But the next morning, you know what I would be doing? Taking a serious siesta. I would be getting some extra rest because I'd be exhausted. Not Jesus. Jesus, it says, is up early in the morning. And Mark says, oh, by the way, while it was still dark out, like really, really early in the morning, and he is off to find a desolate place to pray. The word desolate here is very interesting because it's the same word used to describe where Jesus was tempted for the 40 days in the wilderness that we discovered earlier in Mark. It means a place that is away from civilization. He's in the woods. But you need to understand this historically. Capernaum is one of the largest towns on the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is surrounded by farms surrounded by things that have been cultivated. So Jesus gets up while it is still dark and takes a seriously long hike to get away into the wilderness. I mean, this is a, this is a really, really difficult thing to do. But what here is important for us to see, the more intense Jesus' schedule becomes the harder he fought to find alone time with his father. The more intense his schedule became, the harder he fought to find alone time with his father. 
You see, when our schedules get busy, and you guys know this, what happens is we always have the voice of the crowd demanding on us, telling us what we need to do. And after a while, we don't think about what we should be doing. We are just responding to the demands of the crowd that tell us what we should do. And so we just are responders to the demands of people. But Jesus here says, you know, I don't want to become that way under all these busy circumstances. He says, I need to get up early. I need to go to a time and a place that is isolated so I can hear the still, small voice of my Father telling me how I should live and what I should do. Now, if Jesus, as the very Son of God, needed to find quiet time, alone time, where he could hear the Holy Spirit's still, gentle voice guiding him in what is right, so he wasn't overwhelmed by the demands of the crowd, you and I most certainly need the exact same thing. My guess is that you are in a situation like most Americans where we are constantly being forced to respond to the demands of people around us. And it's very easy to not want to slow down, to not want to listen, to not want to get away and pray. Because it takes work to do that, to listen to the still, small voice of God who tells us what is, do, what is the right way to live. There's a passage in John, John chapter 5, verse 19. I always found this challenging. Jesus says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus was very much in sync with what the Father wanted him to do. How could he say that unless he intentionally took time to listen to his father. And this is what we see going on. Now, um, the Bible gives us little windows into Jesus' quiet times with his father. For instance, uh, three times we find that Jesus, it says, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That he would get away, away from the distractions and demands of the crowds, so he could pray and listen to his father. We also find that before Jesus made important decisions in his life, he took extended times of prayer before making those decisions. Before choosing his disciples, for instance, he spent a night in prayer so he could be sure that he was walking in his Father's will. Before facing times of intense stress or struggle, Jesus often withdrew for to places and times where he would pray. Like in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, what did he do? He withdrew, it says, a stone's throw away, and he needed to pray. Because he wanted to have the Holy Spirit give him strength to make it through those difficult times. And my simple point for us is this. If Jesus needed to fight for these quiet times in a busy, demanding schedule, if Jesus needed to get out of bed early so he could go to an isolated place and pray, if Jesus needed these things, we certainly also need to do the same thing. 
if Jesus needed to take extended time in prayer before making an important decision in his life, we should be taking extended times in prayer before we make important decisions in our life, not just snap judgments. If Jesus needed extended times in prayer before going into a stressful situation where he could easily fall into sin, we also need extended times in prayer before we could enter into a, if we know we're entering into a situation where we could easily fall into sin. If Jesus needed isolation and quiet to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit on how we should live, we also need to find places of isolation and quiet so we can hear the Holy Spirit directing us on how we should live. Oftentimes, the Lord convicts us most when we're finally quiet enough to hear from him. When the radio is off, when we're not looking at the internet, when we're not surfing our phone, it's in those times when the Holy Spirit floats to the top of our heart the issues that God has been trying to deal with in our life, but we've kept it too noisy to listen to and hear. Anybody else experience that? All of us know that. Now, my just little uh, word to you, and I say this to myself as well as to us, if we are in a situation where we're always responding to the demands of the crowd, and we're not finding a quiet and isolated time to listen to God like Jesus fought for, chances are we're not walking in step with the Spirit. Honestly. Now, let me just give you some practical tips I just want to throw out here. For instance, have a place in your life that avoids distractions like electronics. Do you have, like, maybe your bedroom, uh, do you have televisions in your bedroom? Do you have games in your bedroom? Do you, or is your bedroom a place where you can actually have some quiet time? Have a place that avoids all the distractions of electronics. Number two, if you're actually going to be trying to, um, if you're looking for alone time, put your phone away. Now, one of the nice things about having your phone is you can have a Bible app, which is a good thing, but this is the problem I found with using the Bible app on your phone. You're trying to read your Bible app, and all of a sudden you're getting Snapchatted, right? Snapchat, Instagram, yeah, the kids are like, yep, I know. And you get all these instant distractions. So I know that some younger adults have decided, you know what, I like to read a paper Bible. You know why I like the paper Bible? Because it doesn't have notifications, and that's good. It's trying to find an isolated time so you can listen to the, your father. Number three, develop the discipline of getting up early. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, that's, you know, do you have to get up early to pray? Technically, no. Is it okay to pray at night? Yes, of course. But think about this. Why would the Holy Spirit see fit to include this little passage for us? that we would know that Jesus fought for time to get up early when nobody else was up, when nobody else was demanding, making demands of him so he could pray. I think the reason the Holy Spirit included this passage is to give us a pattern to follow, to be like Jesus. Do we do this perfectly? Absolutely not. But it's certainly a pattern to aspire towards. 
Number four, before making important decisions or facing stressful situations, make sure you get time alone to pray. What I have found very clearly is what God does is he gives you peace sometimes about the decision you're going to make, or sometimes he convicts you of your attitude, and oftentimes he provides you wisdom as you take that time to pray. (coughs) Our passage continues. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everybody's looking for you. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, we don't know what time this took place, but I love the way this transpires. Peter and the posse find Jesus, you know, isolated out in the wilderness, praying, and they say, hey, Everybody is looking for you. In other words, we have to head back to Capernaum. You thought last night was busy. You ought to see how many people are interested today. And we learned that Peter, remember he's the businessman? I sort of picture Peter scheduling things, you know. I've got it all lined up. I've got a 10.30 healing. got a coffee break after that for you. Another 11 o'clock healing. I'm putting it on the doctor's schedule. We're just going to line this up. We're going to get like office hours. It's going to be great, Jesus. And Peter is just responding to the demands of the crowd. But because Jesus has spent alone time with his father, he can steal, he can hear the gentle, small voice of the Holy Spirit as his father says to him, no, I don't want you in Capernaum right now. I want you to go to the other villages on the Sea of Galilee. Now, what's interesting, just so you know, uh, Josephus, who's an ancient historian, writes about in the time of Jesus that there are 240 small villages and towns that surround the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus wants to go there, not just to do healings, but it says here that he may proclaim the kingdom of God and to do healings. Now, this is interesting. We often think that Jesus is all about healings. Healings are a good thing, but they weren't the primary thing of what is going on in Jesus's life. With the point of what Jesus is doing is he wants to essentially preach the gospel. He wants to tell people that God is restoring people, and it's going to be all through him. Now, here's the interesting part. Oftentimes, we think that healings are the big thing, and Jesus is essentially saying, no, the preaching of the message of God, the gospel is the big thing. Healings are good. The gospel message is better. Healings, well, they'll straighten somebody out for a few short earthly years, but the gospel message of what Jesus Christ came to do, it straightens somebody out from the inside out. And by the way, the ramifications last not just for this life, but they ultimately lead to eternal life, and they ultimately lead to a resurrection body that will never, ever die. So the gospel message is even better than the healings that Jesus came to do. Now, just so you know, by the way, we do not have the power to do healings like Jesus did. But we do have the capability of sharing the gospel like Jesus did. 
The gospel message is even more potent than the healing message. Earthly healings last for a few short years. The gospel message lasts for eternity. That brings us to the end of those bridging verses. Now I want to jump to what is the next miracle. And this is Jesus' healing of a leper. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Well, Jesus' plan, we know at this point, is that he was to go to these surrounding villages and towns around the Sea of Galilee, and he is going to preach. He's going to tell them about the restoration that God is providing through him, and he's also going to do some healing, and he's going to kick out some, some demons. Now, what happens, by the way, is this is one of the healings that will take place in these small towns around the Sea of Galilee. Luke chapter 6, verse 19 says this, And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. The Bible tells us, by the way, in one verse, that Jesus healed many lepers. Though as we examine the individual healings, there are only two healings of lepers that are recorded in the Bible. There is the one we're going to study this morning, and there's also uh, the healing of the ten lepers in Luke chapter 17. The healing of this particular leper is a very important and pivotal healing in Jesus' ministry. In fact, the healing of this leper is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in three of the Gospels. And here's why the healing of this leper is so important. It was such a miraculous and outstanding healing that after this healing, Jesus' popularity skyrockets to the point that he is no longer able to enter a town without being mobbed and crushed by the popularity of the people. From this point forward, Jesus will have to do his ministry in isolated places, away from people. This is why you hear of Jesus teaching from a boat from the Sea of Galilee so people don't crush him. Next week, when he returns to Capernaum, you're going to see how people are just constantly mobbing around him because of this miracle that is about ready to take place. Now, this miracle is about the curing of leprosy. Now, leprosy was one of the most feared and dreaded diseases in the ancient world. And like most modern Americans, we know very little about leprosy. So I'm going to tell you about leprosy and describe it to you. And I have to tell you, you'll understand in a moment, while leprosy is one of the most feared diseases in the ancient world, and why this miracle was so incredibly potent. So let's go ahead and dive in. How does leprosy affect people medically? Leprosy comes from the Greek word lepros, which means scaly. And it's the idea of describing what happens to a leper's skin. In the ancient world, the term leprosy, and before they had sort of had smaller categories, it actually described what is a total of about 72 modern different diseases. It described things like uh, eczema, ringworm, and other fungal skin infections. 
But leprosy, and this is actually the kind of leprosy we're talking about in this particular passage, there's a leprosy called Hansen's disease. And that is what we today would officially term leprosy. And um, this is talking about Hansen's disease in this passage. Now, Hansen's disease is a devastating bacteria. It disfigures a person's appearance and it debilitates a person's nervous system and they die a death that takes place anywhere between 10 to 30 years until they expire. Now, Hansen's disease, as I said, is one of the most feared diseases in the ancient world. It is spread either through the air or it is spread by touch. It was very difficult. In fact, in the ancient world, it was considered impossible to cure. And a cure for Hansen's disease was only developed as recently as 1982. Now, before that time, all they had was uh, drugs that would help manage the symptoms, and then people were put into quarantine, which is why you hear about leper colonies, which is where they were quarantined. Let me show you what this looks like. And by the way, Jeremy, I will call you as to tell you when to put these photos up. Leprosy often starts as a small red patch on the face. Go ahead, Jeremy, put that up. Nope, it's coming. I think it's coming. There it is. Starts like that, a very small red patch on the face. But then it quickly spreads throughout the rest of the face. Go ahead and give us the next one. And it covers the face in what are these tumors. Then it soon spreads to the internal blood supply. And these tumors start to grow in the hands and the fingers. And they cut off the blood supply to the extremity. So the fingers and the toes begin to get reabsorbed into the body. Go ahead and show us what that looks like. So they end up with hands and digits that look like that. Leprosy also invades the eyes. And the eyes rot. It invades the teeth. The teeth fall out. It invades the extremities of the ears. And it invades the extremities of the nose. And the ears fall off. And the nose falls off. Go ahead and show us what some of that looks like. Well, that's one where it invades the eyes and it's invaded. Go ahead and show us the next one where it invades actually the nose. You can take that one away because I don't want to have that one looking at you too long. Thanks, Jeremy. Whew, that's gone. Thank you, Lee. Okay, it also invades the sex organs, and it, they also begin to rot. Now, the immune system on a leper is severely compromised, so they are filled constantly with sickness. Their flesh, as you can see, it begins to rot on their body. So they developed a very distinctive smell of rotten flesh. Now, who here has ever smelled a, like a rotten dead animal? You ever smell that? You know that smell? Welcome to the smell of a leper. It's repulsive. It's disgusting. Yet that is how you smell all day. Lepers, according to the Mishnah, were known as the walking dead. Leprosy then attacks even your throat. It attacks your vocal cords. And so all of a sudden, lepers, uh, they have this hoarse and raspy sound because of the, the tumors are influencing their throat. Now, um, what's actually very interesting about this is when uh, Mark talks about this leper, Mark says this man has leprosy. 
But last week we learned it's always interesting to go to Luke if he covers the same thing. Because Luke, he's the medical doctor, so he always sees things with a, with a medical eye to things. Luke says about this same leper is that he is covered in leprosy. All the way from head to toe, covered in these disgusting, disfiguring tumors. Now, you have to realize, if you are covered in these tumors that are cutting off your blood supply, most likely this guy is missing his fingers, he's missing his toes, he's missing parts of his face. He looks like a hideous freak of nature. He smells like a rotten walking corpse. That is what this leper looks like. And by the way, in spite of looking like this, a leper would feel almost no pain. Because the way leprosy works is it attacks your nervous system so you cannot feel anything. So lepers commonly injure themselves very severely, inadvertently, and end up leading to their own demise. Like a leper will take a hot pan off the fire and hold it there looking at the food, not realizing their hand is actually burning. A leper will, um, uh, for instance, work with a shovel and they'll work with a shovel and not realize there's a splinter in the shovel. And the splinter will constantly tear at the flesh of their hand and introduce all kinds of infection and damage. And the leper won't feel a thing. They won't feel the infection that's tearing away and rotting at their flesh. A leper will walk on sharp rocks or glass and cut their feet up and have no idea the damage they've done. In fact, even today, they will say that in leper colonies, lepers always have to have cats in their houses. Now, why would that be? That's because rats will come in during the night and nibble away and gnaw at their flesh, eating away their fingers, and they don't feel a thing. So this is what leprosy is like. Now you understand why this is one of the most feared diseases in the ancient world. And if you think the physical manifestations of leprosy are bad, the social manifestations are even more devastating. Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 describes how lepers were handled socially. <clears throat> Let me just show you a little bit from chapter 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of their head hang loose. And they shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, the priests in the Old Testament times, they were sort of the medical um, guardians of the community. And there was actually more details in Leviticus 13 and 14 about how they were to diagnose leprosy. But once leprosy was diagnosed, the result and the consequences were instantaneous and permanent. And that is that you were completely extracted and taken out of society because of leprosy, and you didn't want it to spread. Now, I'd just like in a, you to imagine this. Imagine you are a young, 20-something-year-old woman. You've married your husband. You have little children in the house, and you notice this red splotch showing up on your cheek. And you go to the priest because it seems to be spreading and they go through the Old Testament checking and it turns out you do have leprosy. You know what happened to you at that point? 
immediately and permanently you were taken away from your husband and your your children. You were never to enter the city again, never to enter the temple again. You were to live in the wilderness by yourself in complete isolation for the next 10 to 30 years while you went from a beautiful woman to a ravishing, disgusting beast and you finally died. That's what happens. How close could a person get to you? The Jews would say that on a non-windy day, the closest you could get to a leper was 50 feet away. You know how far that is? Think of the 50-yard dash over at the school. That's how close you could ever be again to your family. On a windy day, it was 150 feet you were to stay away from people. This is why leprosy was known as the living death. The social pain of leprosy was excruciating. Imagine never feeling another person's touch all the way to your death. No one to hold your hand when you're sick, when you're tired. And if there was somebody who held your hand, it was just another leper that was just as sick and dying as you are. Now, um, to avoid contamination, lepers were to make themselves not just, they didn't normally look just hideous, but they were to continue to make themselves appear Hideous. You notice, according to Leviticus, they were not allowed to comb their hair. They were to always wear clothing that was torn and tattered. By the way, today, you know, everyone likes to have those torn jeans because it's cool. If you had torn jeans at this time in the ancient world, it was a sign you were a leper. And everybody had to stay away. And what you were to do was to cover your face. And you were to call out anytime someone came near to you, unclean, unclean. So if someone saw you, they would run from you. They would get away from you for fear of ever being infected by you. Imagine the social isolation and pain that accompanied this. Now that we've understand leprosy, let's go ahead and see what, how this story unfolds. It says this, and this leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, You can make me clean. This leper is violating all the social customs. (laughs) He's not staying 50 feet away. He is begging, begging Jesus to heal him on his knees. Luke, as he recounts this, says he didn't just get on his knees. He literally got all the way on his face out of desperation, asking Jesus to heal him. I love the desperation this man has. His only hope, and he knows it, is Jesus. There are no recorded natural healings of leprosy. The only recorded healings are a supernatural miracle of God in the Old Testament to heal someone of leprosy. So he knows he has to go to Jesus as the only source of healing. By the way, where was everybody else at this time? I'm going to tell you where they were. They were like cockroaches when the light goes on. They're gone. 
Nobody wants to be near this guy. What they would typically do if a leper came too close is people would get long sticks and they would get long poles and they'd get around the leper and using the tips of the sticks and the poles, they would sort of force the leper to leave the presence. So the people at this time, where are they at? They're gone and most likely looking for an especially long stick. Not Jesus though. Jesus just stands there with the guy on the floor in front of him. And this is what it says happens. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Let's work through this, these verses. Jesus is not filled with anger for a leper coming into his presence, but it says he is filled with pity. Are you beginning to get the heart of Jesus? Here's a man whose life has been ruined, shredded, torn away from his family and his children. And Jesus sees him, is not disgusted by him, it's filled with pity and love towards him. And what does it say? And he reached out his hand and touched him. For the last 20 years, nobody had reached out their hand and touched him. According to Luke, he was on his face on the ground and Jesus would have gotten down on his knees. He would have put his hand on him. Can you imagine the chills that would have gone down that leper's spine as he felt a human touch. A human touch that he hadn't felt for years, even for decades. And then Jesus said to him, I will be clean. No, Mark says immediately he was healed. Once we know what leprosy is like, We've just learned, and the stage of leprosy this man has, where he is completely covered head to foot with these tumors, we can picture what that moment looked like. Fingers instantly regrown, toes instantly brought back into place, a face completely restored, ears that all of a sudden healed, and scaly, hard, crusty skin miraculously and instantly transformed to be smooth as a newborn baby, completely without flaws. The voice that was grating, the breathing that was labored and difficult, in one breath was so hard, instantly was completely free and clear. The smell of rotting flesh that was in the air was evaporated in just a snap of a finger. Completely and totally transformed and healed in an instant. I want you to picture this. This is a miracle, like all of Jesus' miracles, on the order of creation itself like you find in Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus speaks and things are instantly created. Now, what happens here is very interesting. 
something we wouldn't expect. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. The word, it says, Jesus sternly charged him. That's a very strong word in the Greek. It literally means to snort like a horse. Jesus gets down on his face. He says, now I am telling you, now that I've healed you, don't you dare tell anybody about this. And then this word says, sent him away. It's also extremely strong word in the Greek. I'm commanding you to go away. So don't say anything to anyone, but I'm commanding you that you go away to the priests and offer the offering for cleansing of a leper as proof to them. Now, this is interesting. Jerusalem, by the way, is 100 miles away from here. You better be legitimately healed if you're about ready to take on a 100-mile walk. Jesus does not need any popularity anymore where he's already at. Got plenty of that. But this is what Jesus does. He commit. He excuse me. I'm trying to say it again. He commands him to be what I would call a miracle missionary. You know, we often say medical missionary. Well, this guy's a miracle missionary. Go down to the priests in Jerusalem who have been hearing about me, who are wondering about me, and offer to them what it says in Leviticus is the uh, sacrifice appropriate for the cleansing of a leper. And they will know that cleansing of a lepers don't happen naturally. The only way that happens is a miracle of God himself. So you are to be a missionary to the priest in Jerusalem. I've commissioned you to do that. That's a pretty important calling. That's a pretty pivotal thing he is about ready or should be about ready to undertake and do with his life. But what does he do? The exact opposite. He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. After he receives incredible grace from God, he goes out and he disobeys Jesus Christ. He starts to tell everyone in his local area what Jesus has done for him instead of doing what Jesus has very strongly commanded him, which is not say anything here, but go to Jerusalem and go to the priests so they may know too. Now, I want to just give you one big application from this. True faith in Jesus is seen in how we obey him, not just in looking for, for his undeserved grace. True faith in Jesus is seen in how we obey him, not just in looking for his undeserved grace. Each one of us has had times in our life where our world was going to fall apart. You ever had those times where you go to God in prayer? Lord, the bottom has fallen out. Unless you intervene, unless you come to the rescue, this world is going to fall apart. I need a job, Lord, you have to provide. I need to be healed because I'm sick and the doctors say there's no hope. And many times, God in his amazing grace comes to our rescue and provides for our needs and then sometimes we follow it up by being just like this leper. Instead of following Christ, 
in obeying Christ, we go off and do our own thing and completely forget about him. And in so doing, sometimes we end up hindering the spread of the gospel. And in so doing, we often miss what would be God's amazing and great plan that he would have for us to do. So my challenge for you this morning is this. When you have received amazing grace from God, and each one of us has received amazing grace from God because he has died in our place for our sins, don't just be filled with gratitude for his grace, but turn around and obey him as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just want to confess that while oftentimes we are filled with gratitude for your amazing grace, for your forgiveness of us and your rescue of our lives, we just want to confess that many times we don't have an interest in necessarily obeying you. We have an interest in doing our own thing and what we think is best. And for that, we ask forgiveness. Help us not to be like this leper who um, received such amazing grace but didn't respond with the gratitude of obedience to your word. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.